context of a suite of what I'll describe as strengthening promises in Philippians chapter 4, I wanted to focus on two things that have happened to me this year. Now, it's a bit personal, but, you know, it's it's grandpa's day, so I can be a bit reflective and do all of that. And, uh, and I've been experiencing things this year in the same way as you have. So please uh, bear with me. I'll, I'll put it in a, a personal context, but you may be able to relate to some of those issues. First, of, co- of course, uh, like all of us, uh, I continue to live through uh, the pandemic and its consequences uh, for the life that we seek to lead. Uh, second, uh, as most of you know, I managed to smash my hips uh, at the uh, beginning of this year, and uh, and that's uh, pretended, uh, pre- or rather, presented some uh, uh, particular, um, uh, well, how can I describe it? The unique experiences um, uh, along the way, and of course, uh, many other things have happened this year. Um, but the reason I wanted to focus on these two is because I think they're maybe a salient lesson or two that emerges as we seek to continue uh, what is hopefully a meaningful path for our life, even in the face of the vanities of life. But first, uh, can you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4? And I wanted to set the scene by two very well-known verses here in Philippians chapter 4, and ones which uh, I think provide a very strong source of strength and comfort in our lives. So Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6, it tells us to be careful for nothing. And as I often remind people, that doesn't mean we can be careless in everything. Um, it, of course, is speaking of uh, uh, not being anxious uh, about things. So uh, being careful for nothing, that is not having your life full of care uh, over everything. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And to read that in a different translation, it says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I've always treated this uh, as a, as a uh, point of guidance rather than commandment, if you like, or instruction, um, uh, because it says, in effect, that I have no need to be anxious about anything. On the contrary, uh, remember the word but there in, uh, in verse uh, six, so he says, be careful for nothing but in everything. So on the contrary, I can secure by prayer with thanksgiving, a peace, indeed not just a peace, but the peace that passes understanding as I make known my requests to God. Now that reminds us, firstly, that I'm not alone. I have God. It says, I'm not without hope, but rather I have a God who both receives my requests and delivers according to his promise. I'm told I am safe and secure in that promise. I'm told I have hope and I have no need to feel vulnerable. Now, over the course of the pandemic, and it's approaching nearly two years since we first were introduced to this little bug, um, 
uh, I've had a few discussions with one of my brothers, uh, a younger brother who periodically uh, gets himself a bit fired up uh, about political responses to the virus, lockdowns, borders, vaccination, freedoms, and away you go. And let's just say at times he's got himself a little worked up about it all. Now, I'm not necessarily being critical of him uh, personally in the sense that we all have a cause to lament as we and our leaders bumble along with a grievous bug that afflicts and kills. Uh, some responses work, some don't, but all of them uh, we might fairly describe as uh, being imperfect. Anyway, in one of those discussions, my brother, who attends a large church in Sydney, uh, said that all of this stuff is tearing his church apart. And I thought that was a bit curious. Uh, and indeed, I responded to him by saying, well, it's not to, to tearing ours apart. Um, and I think that's true. And of course, that is not because we are uh, in some artificial way insulated from the effects of the virus and government efforts to deal with it. No, we live within this risky and uncertain world, just like everyone else. But we can, I think, and I think we do avoid having this tear us apart when we apply the very clear scriptural teaching to this scenario, and we do so with an indwelling spirit that reinforces God's presence in our lives. And one of the things that I said to my brother recently, as he raised his anxiety levels about the uncertainty of the future, uh, was to quote to him Matthew chapter 6. Uh, and uh, you might turn to me, uh, rather turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And I'll start in verse 34 and then I'll, I'll go back to some of the preceding verses. Uh, this, of course, is part of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and uh, uh, <laughs> even as uh, Pastor Scott last night uh, put up his little picture of uh, uh, that uh, represented the Sermon on the Mount and talked a little bit out of the, um, that sermon, uh, it really uh, began to point in a direction that I wanted to take you today. Um, because here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 34, he says that we, uh, he says, take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. And in the Amplified, that, that verse uh, reads, so do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own. Sufficient for each day is its own trouble. And of course, it's built on the principle in this verse that we, you know, sing songs and encourage ourselves to live our, our lives day by day, year by year, as we walk in the journey that the Lord has prepared for us. Day by day, we take uh, and indeed, uh, uh, if you take the context of this verse, it comes after Jesus challenged those who think that they can achieve substance in life by having divided loyalties with one foot in God's camp and the other foot uh, firmly in that of what he describes as mammon, M-A-M-M-O-N. And that speaks of the greedy attraction that is inherent in the riches of this world. And after pointing out the futility in such a divided approach to life, Jesus moves on to the sources of anxiety and how we face the uncertainties or how we are able to face the uncertainties of the future. So if you go back to verse 25, he says, 
Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body and what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the meat, or rather more than meat, and the body than raiment? Now, what's he saying here? Is he saying, ah, don't worry about eating? Uh, is he saying, don't worry about getting dressed? Um, no, I don't think he's saying that at all. Uh, and that'll become clear as he uh, uh, draws on um, some analogies to birds and flowers. Um, uh, but it, 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 there's a real emphasis that he's putting here, and I just wanted to point that out to you. So he asks us to consider the birds and the flowers. Having said this point, that we should take no thought for our lives or what we shall eat or drink, um, uh, he goes on to say, Behold the fowls of the air, sorry, behold the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? And why take you thought for raiment? Uh, consider uh, the lilies of the field, uh, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall, not, shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Now, of course, Jesus is not saying that the birds or the flowers or the grass uh, do not need to contend with the world or that they do not need to cater for their own needs. So he doesn't say, for example, that birds shouldn't bother going out to find seeds or whatever else that they do uh, to feed themselves or whatever they do to protect themselves and build their nest. Uh, of course, birds must go out and get their food. They are not spoon-fed by the heavenly Father that feeds them in the same way that we are not spoon-fed by the heavenly Father who here is promising through the words of Jesus to care for us and, and to demonstrate uh, that care for us. Um, uh, similarly, the plants must ensure that they have root into enriched soil and are otherwise watered. Now, the focus here of what uh, of Jesus' instruction is to avoid an anxious response to life's challenges, whether to be fed or whether to be uh, whether to stay safe or to just generally sustain life in a risky and an uncertain world. So, therefore, in verse thirty-one, he says, "Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat?'" Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Right? Take no thought. In other words, don't let it consume you in your thinking. Uh, it doesn't mean to say to ignore the, the the fact that you need to plan for the future or make sure that you, you're able to get the food that you need and the shelter that supports you and all of those things. But he goes on to say in verse 32, for after these things do the Gentiles seek. In other words, we're all in the same boat. We all have to work these things out, right? but that's not what's going to differentiate you from those who are set apart from God. As a people of God, you have a way to differentiate yourself from humanity as a whole. Uh, and he says, look, everybody has to worry about that, even the Gentiles, right? But your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. 
And then he says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, because that is a point of difference that you had with the rest of humanity. So seek him and do it first and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. Um, and so we ought to put the evils of the day into a life where as we seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, he promises to provide for us. And the provision he promises here is not merely to just to eat. It's not just to drink. It's not just to have shelter, but it is to have a, a sufficiently uh, secure path in an uncertain future that we can stand firm and rejoice uh, in the face of the challenges that life throws against us. Now, uh, of course, in that way, we can avoid the anxiety that can arise as we react to our circumstances. And people react to circumstances in many different ways. Some react with a high degree of fragility or uh, brittleness. Uh, they're frail or weak or insecure or unstable in the face of pressure, whether it be real pressure or perceived pressure. Others just bounce right back and they're not permanently or easily depressed. And we might describe them as buoyant or not phased or unfazed or cool or, I don't know, wicked or whatever uh, word uh, people use to describe. Uh, others are, are capable of being shaped or formed by their circumstances. They just go along with the, go with the flow, so to speak. Uh, they're adaptable, they're pliable, they're able to adjust to changing circumstances, uh, adopting a, a practical and realistic approach to life. And, of course, there are those uh, who yield more readily to persuasion or instruction and are teachable, and they are compliant and manageable, uh, governable, even docile. These, of course, are natural responses, and they reflect our personalities as well as our physical and psychological well-being. There's plenty of fuel in all of that uh, for anxiety and even depression. And to a degree, we all feel anxiety to, to some degree in our lives. It is born of that uncertainty and how we react to it. We can get anxious of the things that we dread. We can get anxious for the things that we desire. And we can get anxious about a thing or a person involved in an uncertain or painful situation. We can be uneasy about the situation. It can really trouble our mind. And at its extreme, we can be quite debilitated and dysfunctional as anxiety levels rise and we are crippled by our fear. Now, in all of that equation, it's worth asking, do the vagaries of an uncertain life uh, generate or need to generate a paralyzing fear in our lives? How do we avoid that? Uh, and uh, how do we get to the stage where uh, we don't feel vulnerable, but we feel safe? We're not helpless, but we're supported. We're not exposed, but protected. We're not insecure, but again, we're safe. We're not isolated, uh, rather at home or with friends who care. We're not hopeless, rather we are hopeful. And of course, the reality is that we ourselves can unnecessarily fuel our anxieties. And the Bible tells us how we can avoid that, uh, how we can overcome it, and how we can walk a much more victorious life. And um, it is in that context that Jesus, in that verse we started with in verse 34, uh, where Jesus urges us to live our day-by-day -day life 
without a fixated focus on an uncertain future over which we have little control. Right? We do not need that fixation. We do not need to focus on it, but rather we can live day by day uh, being confident to know that the Lord will navigate us through uh, the right path. Turn with me to Proverbs chapter 3. Now, we uh, normally remember Proverbs chapter 3 where it, uh, it tells us that um, um, we should trust in the Lord uh, in all our ways. We should acknowledge him and he will direct our paths. Uh, and that's earlier in the chapter here in Proverbs. But I'd like to pick it up from about verse 19, if I may. It says here in Proverbs 3, The Lord by wisdom has founded the earth. By understanding has he established the heavens. By his knowledge the depths are broken up, and the clouds drop down the dew. My son, let not them depart from your eyes. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. So shall your life sorry, so shall they be life unto your soul and grace to your neck. Now I don't have a very gracious neck, uh, but uh, uh, the promise here, of course, is to actually protect me right? and that there will be a life unto my soul that comes from the combination of God bringing wisdom, that wisdom that founded the earth, uh, that brought an understanding uh, uh, by which he established the heavens. But we have a knowledge here uh, that the whole depths are dependent upon it. He said, you take hold of that wisdom. And uh, uh, keep it sound. It'll be a life unto your soul and it'll save your neck, um, to put it in a more colloquial uh, way. Then shall you walk in the way safely and your foot shall not stumble. And when you lie down, you shall not be afraid. Yea, you shall lie down and your sleep shall be sweet. Be not afraid of sudden fear, of terror and panic, neither of the desolation of the wicked when it comes. For the Lord shall be your confidence and shall keep your foot from being taken. There's a wonderful set of uh, promises here because it says, hey, listen, there's a whole lot around you that might give you uh, cause for sudden fear or terror and panic. Uh, and indeed, the desolation of a wicked world uh, can create such a reaction in your life as we lament the fact that the human condition would bring such desolation upon them. But we have a God by whom we can be confident. Uh, he's going to keep our foot from being taken, he promises here, and uh, uh, our graceful necks are going to be protected. Um, now, we can come to God boldly, with confidence, with every right to expect his mercy to shine and his grace to help in our time of need. So in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, uh, it says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, I've had a few opportunities in recent years after having uh, spent many decades uh, in fine health and never going anywhere near a hospital. Uh, I've had a few occasions to, uh, to, to visit them. And uh, sometimes uh, through actions of my own and sometimes just because of circumstance. Um, but uh, I, I can certainly attest to the fact that when confronted uh, by a, a time in your life when you need some help, the ability to call out and indeed to come boldly to the throne of grace 
so that we might call upon his mercy uh, to help us in our time of need is a pretty comforting thing to have. And uh, we do well to be willing to do so. In Psalm 27, if you can turn there with me, In Psalm 27, it reads, this is the Psalm of David in verse 1, The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Now, David here is um, going to the source of his strength so that in the face of whatever challenge might uh, come against him, uh, there's no person that he should fear. There's nobody from whom he should uh, uh, or against whom uh, he needs to be afraid. When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, uh, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Uh, though an host should encamp against me, that is an army, should camp encamp against him, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. And so that's the this encouragement to drive away fear and get to the position of confidence that David is emphasising in the psalm. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me, in his pavilion or shelter, in the secret of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. So uh, sometimes we just need to get away uh, and be protected, to be sheltered, to be hidden, uh, even upon a rock uh, with uh, uh, that uh, stability uh, that goes with the analogy that's being drawn here. He will set us up on a rock. Why? Because the rock is firm and it's a firm place that won't be shaken. And he's hiding us in his shelter. Uh, he's there to look after us. And now, and what you're going to do, a bit of, bit of joy here, a bit of singing of praises here. Now shall my head be lifted up uh, above mine enemies around about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. And uh, so don't hesitate to do so. doesn't matter if your voice is croaky like mine. Uh, just uh, sing and be joyful, uh, says David. He didn't say anything about croaky voices. I added that bit. Um, in verse 7, he says, this is a plea here. Right? He says, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. And when you said, speaking again to the Lord, seek you my face, my heart said unto you, your face, Lord, will I seek. Right. I heard you. You told me to seek you. Well, that's what I'm doing, he says here. That's what he's attesting to. That's his testimony. His testimony is that in response to God's invitation or commandment to seek him, uh, then David will do so. Hide not your face far from me, he pleads to God. Put not your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. And when my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over unto the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses have risen up against me 
and such as breathe out cruelty. This is a tough world sometimes, and people do nasty things. Uh, David certainly experienced that in his life, and he speaks here to God as he again seeks his face. Uh, He's uh, talking about a deliverance that he looks to, looks uh, to God to receive. And then in verse 13, he says, I, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. There is faint, he would faint if he doesn't have belief. I had fainted unless I had believed to see God's goodness in the land of the living. And then there's this wonderful encouragement to, uh, to patience. He says, wait on the Lord. And while you're waiting, don't tremble in your boots. And I added that bit. He says, be of good courage. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I think David wants us to wait on the Lord. That's what he's urged us to do here. Uh, and indeed, as we do so, let's be of good courage. Let's be strengthened uh, to know that there's a God who's worth waiting for and who's going to deliver us in our time of need. In Isaiah chapter 40 uh, and verse, you're welcome to turn with me, uh, Isaiah 40 and verse 28. It reads, have you not known, have you not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, faints not, neither is weary. There is no searching of his understanding. He gives power to the faint and to them that have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as equals. They shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Well, these are sweeter verses here. It says, don't you worry about how old you are. Don't you worry about how strong you, uh, or faint you might think you are, whether you be in your youthful period of life where you would have your strength and you think you can stand on your own two feet without any help from others. Don't you worry about it if you're at the other end of your life and you've got uh, uh, inherent weaknesses that you uh, uh, acknowledge and can so clearly see, uh, as can others, uh, because at the end of the day, it's not about that, uh, because God gives power to the faint. Uh, and indeed, he gives might. He increases strength to us. Uh, and even as uh, youthful strength falls away, and even as they utterly fall, if we would recognize the value in waiting upon God, then he will renew our strength. And uh, we can flap our wings as eagles, run and not be weary, and walk and not faint. Praise the Lord for that. There's a few uh, other uh, words of instruction and uh, guidance that we get from the scriptures that help us, I think, when dealing with tough times, uh, when dealing with uh, situations that could, uh, given the right fuel, uh, lead to anxiety uh, and debilitate us uh, in the life and indeed to drive us away from the joy that we're entitled to have in our day-to-day lives. The first one's a pretty obvious one, and that is, we should read the word, uh, for by the word we have our hope, our salvation, and our healing. Uh, and the word, of course, is that foundation in our life that really gives us an opportunity to live a life that is set apart from 
uh, the lives of the world generally. And even though uh, the world is at times like a a, a sea that uh, gets tossed about by whatever wind comes against it, uh, we've got a, a solid foundation in our lives and we can trust in that. And so in Psalm 107, verse 20, he says, he sent his word and he healed them and he delivered them from their destructions. Right? So God's word heals us. God's word delivers us from our destruction. And in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, it says, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Right? Well, you're not going to get that patience comfort of the scriptures uh, unless you read them uh, and unless you draw upon those, that word uh, for that encouragement for, uh, so that you ultimately can have the hope that it sets out for you. And linked to that, of course, is med- meditating uh, both upon the word and on the works of God. Indeed, uh, we should be counting our blessings, not counting our perils. Um, uh, there's all sorts of perils that we could list in, in, in the, the uncertain and dangerous uh, world that we live in. Uh, but what we are urged to do is to count our blessings and not our perils. So in Psalm 63, it says in verse 5, My soul shall be satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the night watches, because you have been my help, therefore in the shadow of your wings will I rejoice. So when you're sitting there in the night watches, uh, lying on your bed, then meditate on this. Think of this. Think of what it is that the Lord has done for you, because he has been our help. Uh, and uh, we will rejoice as we uh, live within the shadow of his winds. Secondly, we should focus upon those things that matter. Now, this might seem a bit obvious, but it's amazing in life how we get tangled up over things that don't matter. This is fundamental. So the Bible teaches us to put our life and events in perspective knowing that we cannot remove the vanities of life, but we can find joy in the face of such vanities. The Bible teaches us to be realistic in knowing what you can and cannot change. It teaches us to know that you can never take out all of the uncertainties of life, that we should live day by day without undue focus on an uncertain future, that we should look forward, not ruining or regretting those things that are behind, that we should... Uh, not place undue importance on the minutiae, the little things of life, uh, but rather we should put them in their right perspective. Uh, and uh, uh, there, uh, in Romans chapter 8, uh, and you're welcome to turn with me here, wonderful chapter, and I, I think we heard some verses from here last night, uh, but in Romans chapter 8 and verse 18, this uh, set of verses to me says, it's not my fault. God has a will, uh, see the hope and believe it. Uh, that, that's, that, that's in essence what these verses tell us. For I reckon, he says in verse 18, that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. 
But down in verse 30, he says, for the creature or the natural creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, that is not by its own choice, but by reason of him who has subjected the same in hope. In other words, God's the one who's put, who's put us on this earth. Um, and uh, even though we find ourselves subject to vanity, he says, he says, it's not your fault, right? You didn't work it out that way, uh, that life will be full of these challenging elements in the environment, uh, but rather he's given us hope. Uh, even as he has subjected us to the same. In verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and travails in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. We're waiting for that day. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man sees, why does he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helps our infirmities. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searches the heart, or rather he that searches the hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. We know how many things, some things, a few things. No, we know that all things work together for good. And some of those things, at least in the short term, don't feel like they're very good. The promise here is that all things work together for good. To whom? To them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. So get to the stage of loving God. They recognize uh, um, uh, the, the, the criteria to be amongst the called according to his purpose and then be confident to know that all things work together for good who are in that state. Verse 21, he says, what shall we say then, or rather, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? So the answer to uh, our reaction to whatever it is that goes on around about us is not to get onto a soapbox and uh, start a political campaign and tear ourselves apart. Uh, the answer is uh, to rest in the Lord, to wait in the Lord, uh, and to recognise that we have a God, and if he is for us, then nothing can be against us. The third thing I had here was that we should be content in whatever state we find ourselves. Now, that's not always easy to do, let me assure you. Uh, I've had a few states this year uh, where I would say to myself, you know, I'd rather not be here. I'd rather not be here. And yet... The encouragement in Philippians chapter 4, when we were there earlier, and here from verse 11, is to be content. Because he says in verse 11 of chapter 4 in Philippians, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. 
I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. So here, as he says that uh, he has learnt that in whatever state he is in, he should be content. He he doesn't say, well, that's because in my life I've only ever uh, enjoyed good things because he immediately tells us in verse 12 that sometimes I'm having troubles, sometimes I'm abounding. Uh, and he, he says it doesn't matter whether I'm full or whether I'm hungry, whether I, 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 both to abound or to suffer need. I know that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's the victory that we have, and that's the promise by which we are entitled to uh, react to the circumstances in our lives. Next thing I had here was that we shouldn't try and work it all out because even if we did, the uncertainty will still remain. And uh, I could, of course, uh, uh, speak from one of my favourite books, the book of Ecclesiastes, to emphasise this. Um, uh, I'll just read two verses. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 16. Here the preacher says, When I applied my own heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done upon the earth, for also there is that neither day nor night sees sleep with his eyes, then I beheld all the work of God, that a man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun, because though a man labour to seek it out, yet he shall not find it. Yea, father, though a wise man think to know it, yet shall he not be able to find it. If I just uh, read that in the Amplified, it says, when I applied my mind to know wisdom and to see the business uh, activity and the painful effort that takes place upon the earth, how neither day nor night some men's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. Because however much a man may toil in seeking, yet he will not find it out. Yes, more than that, though a wise man thinks and claims he knows, yet will he not be able to find it out. So sometimes you just got to draw a line and you've got to stop because you're just not going to work it all out. Uh, uncertainty will remain. doesn't mean to say you need to blindly jump off cliffs uh, and uh, hope that there'll be a net to catch you at the bottom. doesn't mean to say you don't plan in your life. doesn't mean to say you don't do uh, uh, prudent uh, preparation, uh, but it does say don't try and work it out to the nth degree. At the end of the day, let God work it out. Live day by day, year by year, and let God bless you along the way. The fifth thing I had here was don't be anxious about the details. Uh, we need to both get things done and realise that some things can be left undone. Now, I'm, I, I always feel a bit rough reading these verses, these next ones out of Luke chapter 10, because it, it sounds like you're picking on Martha. Um, uh, and, you know, I reckon Martha wasn't a bad person. and um, uh, But she did have to learn a little lesson here, and so it's worth us learning the same lesson. Uh, because it says here in verse 38 of Luke chapter 10, it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Bid her therefore that she help me. And Jesus said unto her, Martha, Martha, you are careful or anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part, which shall not be taken away from her. 
And so uh, the particular point that Jesus focuses on here is not whether he should sort out the uh, essence of fairness and justice as between Mary and her sister Martha, uh, but rather that Martha is elevating as a point of significance in the face of Jesus's dealings with mankind, uh, a thing that at the end of the day is something that she can get anxious about and troubled about, but really doesn't matter. And uh, she should not uh, allow uh, those uh, details to be raised in significance so that it would build to a state of anxiety and trouble. Uh, and that's what he encourages her to do here. He doesn't actually sit them down and, and uh, uh, get his gavel out and bring judgment and say, well, Mary, you know, you probably should have done this and Martha, you could have done that and, and do it. It doesn't even, doesn't even bother in dealing with the, uh, the substantive issue. Uh, what he's concerned about here is that there is a way that uh, Martha can uh, respond to the circumstance in which she finds herself where she does not to be need to be anxious or troubled uh, about those things. We should, is my sixth point, redeem the time. We should keep busy and evolved. And we know the verse, we know it well, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 6, we should redeem the time because the days are evil. We should give to the time that which it deserves. We should buy back our time. We should pay the price. Uh, we should put in our energies. Uh, and at the end of the day, we should keep busy, active and involved, even as Pastor Darrell was talking about earlier. And so finally, to wrap it all up, which uh, is where we started, uh, is to talk about the day-by-day -day life that we have an opportunity to live. So in Luke chapter 12, and in verse 22, it reads like this. And he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you shall eat, neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. And then he goes on, he's talking about instead of fowls, in the Luke version of this, uh, he talks about the ravens. Consider the ravens, they see, they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn. God feeds them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to his stature one cubit? And if you then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought? Why be anxious for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not. They spin not. And yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But then God so clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow was cast into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? Seek you not, uh, rather seek not ye what you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be you of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your father knows that you have need of these things. But what should you do? Seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. And the emphasis here, as it was in Matthew at the beginning, uh, is to uh, recognise uh, that we can uh, stand separate and apart from uh, the massive trouble that the world creates themselves. We can find a place of peace, a place of hope, a place of joy, and we can avoid the anxieties that might otherwise come out. 